We're in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Last week we really saw a turn in David's life. David left the land that he was born in, that he was going to be king of, and left to hide out in the Philistine territory. And we talked quite a bit about him saying within his own heart and mind, Saul's going to kill me, I better get out of here. And we talked about the importance of what we actually speak into our lives, how Saul was not going to kill David. David was promised by God to be the king, but fear or all those things that might come up when someone's trying to kill you uh, took over and David basically allowed those things to dominate and control his life. And in this year plus that David lived in the Philistine territory, we see that there were no Psalms written by him. As previously when he was wandering from cave to cave, running from Saul, there were times where he would write these beautiful Psalms. But in this period of his life, there were no Psalms written. David is in really a dark place, and we're going to see that continue. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. Last week, we also talked about how David would go raiding other areas, and he would tell Achish that he was going into Judah until the land of basically Achish's enemies, but it wasn't so. He was going to these remote, remote places. He was devastating, killing everybody so that no one could tell of the things that he was doing, but that's how they made their living, by raiding other villages. But he didn't go against the children of Israel. He kept going against to the enemies of Israel and attacking and lying to Achish. And so now here comes the time where Achish says, hey, we're going to battle against Israel. You got to go with us. And David says, now you're going to see what kind of person I really am. You're going to see how bad I really am. All those tales that were told about me, you'll get to see it for yourself. And then Achish says, well, from now on, I want you to be my bodyguard. What do you guys think? What was David going to do in this situation after a year and a half of being exiled, living in this territory of the Philistines? Achish says, it's time to go to war. What do you guys think? Is he set to go to war? Think he was going to fake it? Well, we'll never know. Um it doesn't tell us, and in 29 we'll see what happens, but you know, this is an interesting place because of where David has been and the things that he has done, it does put a question in our minds. Would he, would he actually raise his sword against Israel? It seems unfathomable to assume that with all the things that he's done and we knew him, the king, to be. It's just awkward that he is in this place. 
And we've talked about the decisions we make that lead us to awkward places. Many times we do things and we find ourselves in a place and we're thinking, oh my gosh, how did I get here? You guys ever been there? Yeah, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. <laughs> Bring back the 80s. Um, I can remember at times going to a party and all of a sudden, as it starts going on, recognizing, oh my gosh, this is a bad place. I shouldn't be here right now. Have you guys ever been there? It's like, who are those people? They look scary. I'm not ready for this. I, I need to get out of here. Um, David finds himself in this kind of a situation. And then the tale turns. We, we don't get a whole lot more of what happens here in these first few verses until we get to chapter 29. We'll see if we get there tonight or not. But now we take this interesting, strange encounter. I don't know how else to put it. And so... Probably tonight, if you leave here more confused than you came in, I've probably done my job to some extent, because this is an unusual passage, to say the least. Uh, first of all, in verse 3, it says, Now Samuel was dead. That's paving the way for what's going to happen. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. And so there's a mention of Samuel, the prophet, who we started this book talking about. The book is named after him. And during this time when Samuel was alive and when Saul was still reigning, Saul had made some kind of decree to get rid of all the, the mediums, all the spiritists, all those who were soothsayers, necromancers, those who would conjure the dead and those kinds of things that would be involved with what we'd say is the occult. They were expelled from the land. And so this is something that was a good thing in Israel's mind and history. And Saul was a part of that. But verse four, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Galboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. This is, there is one in Endor, they said. Okay. Samuel's dead. And there is a void that's felt in the nation and in Saul. And in keeping with God's command, the mediums and all these spiritualists or spiritualists, yeah, spiritualists are kicked out of the land. It talks about this in Exodus 22, in Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 18. It, it talks about a number of these things where God talks about getting rid of the people who are looking into these kinds of things and not actually seeking after God. Saul doesn't hear from the Lord by dream, by Urim. Remember we talked about the Urim and the Thummim, those 
stones that they would go to the priest and inquire of the priest. Apparently, there was no response that was definitive from that or from the prophets. And so Saul says, find me a woman who is a medium. Why do you think Saul went there? Do you think he didn't know it was wrong? He knew it was wrong. So why would he go there? Desperate. Notice what it says earlier. He was afraid. I'm telling you, if we could learn what fear does to us and learn how to compose ourselves in the time of fear, it could help us in so many ways in our lives. Fear does something to us. It gives us tunnel vision. When you panic, you make mistakes. When you panic, you do stupid things. That's why they train you in the military and those kinds of things. They you put you through all these things and they say, trust your training. Don't try and reason. You've got to go back that you were trained in a way that's going to get you through when your brain freaks out. And so they tell you to trust your training. Never been in the military, but I've seen the movies, okay? Yeah, they say that, don't they? Tell you to trust your chain. Why? Because they know that when you're afraid, you're liable to act in a way that'll get you killed. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. When we're afraid, we can respond in ways that can be detrimental to us. And that's what we see Saul doing. Yes, Lola. Well, it's interesting because then as we're going to read on, if he doesn't think that God is going to answer him, then why does he go, we're going to see, to inquire of a man of God to give him an answer? And so there's this kind of um, unreasonable approach to all this. It's just not rational. What he's doing doesn't make sense when you stop and look at it and you wonder why isn't he looking at it? And again, I think part of that fear of just, oh no, I'm not hearing from God. I need to know what's going to happen. And remember, he's facing an army and, and this isn't looking, you know, through his, you know, um, computer screen from a satellite that's viewing what's going to happen. I mean, these are the guys on the other side of the hill who've got the spears and swords. And I mean, this is a bloody battle that's going to take place and people are going to be hacked. And he's thinking, I'm going to be one of them. And if God's not for me, am I going to die? And something happens to us when death becomes that enemy to us where we start thinking of death as, oh no, I, I can remember even when I was younger and in my teens, this idea, I'd go to sleep and I would think, what if I die? And it would haunt me. I'd be terrified of what's going to happen if I die. Maybe that's why I never fell asleep. I didn't like going to sleep because I didn't want to die. I just thought I'd stay awake and so I won't go to sleep. And then, But I would be terrified of death and just wondering what's going to happen to me. And so... Saul is probably terrified, am I going to die? And death became something that loomed heavy over him in this part of his life. And so he wants to go to a medium. He's not hearing from God. And it's interesting, the ways through a dream, through the urim, through the prophets, God is not speaking. 
We're going to see why here in a, in a bit. So verse 8, so Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. So he tooks off, takes off the royal clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. Now, it's interesting because he says, find a woman who is a medium. He doesn't say find a medium. He says, find a woman who is a medium. It's interesting because throughout the scriptures, most of the mediums that we see are women. It's interesting because most of the people who are involved with uh, astrology, fortune telling, even today, are women. What does it mean? It's interesting. I ain't going to say anything <laughs> except that it's interesting. I read all kinds of commentators. They were posting all of a sudden. I go, yeah, you guys can say that. Your wife's not there talking to you. But it's just an interesting concept that he went to a woman. Maybe it was a way that they could make a living. Who knows? But he went to a woman. And so he goes and he says, consult a spirit for me and bring up for me the one I name. Verse 9, but the woman said to him, surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? And so everyone knew what had taken place. It was martial law. Get rid of the mediums, the spiritists. They're all to be out. And she says, don't you know? You know what Saul's done. You're setting a trap. This is a sting operation. Are you sure you don't have a bat? She's leery of this because she's afraid. Saul, verse 10, swore to her by the Lord, which I think is interesting. He's going to a medium and he swears in the name of the Lord. The one who he's going against, he now uses his name and it just shows how we can use God and not regard him at all. God became the lucky rabbit's foot. God became something and someone he could just use when he needed. I'll use God's name when I need to. And he became someone who was powerless to speak into his life. But at the same time, in the name of God, look how honest I am. I'm using God's name. What good is using God's name if you don't follow God's ways? It's kind of a, a mute thought, you know. But you hear people, I swear to God. You don't believe in God. Why are you swearing to God? I swear to God. You live like hell. Why are you swearing to God? But people do that. It's this, I'm, I'm honest. I mean it. I mean it. But what good is using God's name in a context where you're disregarding him? And so he swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, verse 10, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? 
I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by the prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and give it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Hold the phone. What's going on here? So what do you guys think? Let me before <laughs> let's just dive into this. What's going on? Thoughts. Is this is this really Samuel? Before she didn't, all of a sudden she sees Samuel, freaks out, and says, You deceived me. You're Saul. What happened? Something happened there. Yes, Lola. Well, I think what he is talking about is like no one's gonna catch you doing this. You know, it's like the cops aren't going to get you. I'm not going to narc on you. I think that's what he's referring to in that regard. Now, there are three, maybe four, but three things that I've read on this passage. None of them agree, of course. Some people believe that um, this... Nothing happened that this woman was just a charlatan. She was pulling the wool over Saul's eyes and made this whole thing up. Some people believe that it was demonic, that it wasn't really Samuel, but it was some demon posing as Samuel. Um, And then some people believe that it was actually Samuel who came up and it surprised the, the medium. Those are the three kind of prominent thoughts that are out there. From the context, I don't see anything but it being Samuel, Um, because Samuel refers to the things that he spoke to Saul about specifically. Um, He tells him what's going to happen. The woman is surprised what happens. She says, you've deceived me. She's frightened. Something is unusual here. And so there's something supernatural taking place. And that's what's the troubling part is why is this man of God being summoned through this medium who's not of God to speak to this man who is not of God? Why is something like this happening? That, that's one of the troubling thoughts. And the answer is we don't know. It could be. It could be that or this was of a different spirit than what she was used to dealing with. And we did see that before, right, with... Saul prophesying, and God used Saul to prophesy so that David could escape. Um, God can use people and does. He used the Magi to bring about the news of where the Christ was going to be born. They were astrologers. Um, So God does use things that are unusual. Um, Why then? Well, first of all, what this does tell us is that there is the spiritual world. That's going on. Okay, we don't know how it took place and what all it looks like. And I think it's kind of almost humorous how we try and put everything into 
clean cut categories of how things happen. You know, well, this is where people were, and when they died, this is where they went, and after Christ, this is... I mean, we have some ideas. Jesus did tell us some things that are giving us insight into the grave, and he led captivity captive, and it seems to indicate that there's been a change, but we don't know exactly what it looks like. But we see that there is this living resemblance of Samuel if you can call it a living or a dead resemblance of Samuel that's appearing, however you want to word it, there is a spiritual realm. Okay? People believe, you believe in ghosts and these things. Well, there definitely are spirits. You know, I don't know how it all works, but here's something that's happening, and it's in the Scripture. And it's pretty terrifying. It's pretty spooky. It's creepy. Why then, if this is a reality, why is God so opposed to this? In Leviticus 20, verse 6, it says, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off from their people. So that was God's word to Saul, and he went there anyway. Why would God be so against mediums and spiritists if there is a reality that these things exist? Why do you think? They'd want to hear the voices of things. Have any of you ever been before, maybe you were Christian, to something that was involved with astrology or tarot cards? or What was your experience? Any other experience? I mean, that's interesting because what you said is very similar to what was going on with Saul. I needed to know. Fear is driving him. I need to know. And he goes to find out the answer and he goes to this person. I know through things I've experienced and others, you know, even like what Pat was sharing, there are things where you go through and then what they say comes to pass or, what, or, or how do you know these things about me? Um, that And it's kind of that, you know, it's a weird thing that just kind of trips you out. Like, how do you know that? How do you know that? Because it is a spiritual realm and they shouldn't know the information that they're giving you, but they do. Now, sometimes it can be general. It could be a hoax. But then there's sometimes where there is actually a spiritual realm things taking place. One of the things that happens is people go to the mediums to find out what's going to happen in their life. And then what happens is their life starts being shaped by these people or by these fears. And so now your life is being controlled by what this person says, and what it does is it closes off the voice of God to your life and to your heart. And living by faith is no longer something that is practiced because I'm living by what this spirit has told me. And my life is now actually in bondage to the fear and to what this voice is saying instead of me being in control of my life and living it by the standards that God has given me, I start basing my life on what someone or something has told me. And so what happens is it's a, a, a place where we can really just be entrapped by these spirits because their voice is going to be how we live Oh, oh, don't do that because, remember, they said 
stay away from this. Or in your case, you know, if you get out of this relationship, you'll be alone. Oh, okay, so now, even though it might have been the best thing for you to do to get out of that relationship, fear is going to hold you into that relationship because of what this person or this spirit has said. And now your life is being controlled not by God and not even by you, but on the basis of this guidance that's coming from the other world, whatever. But because it's spiritual, quote, it gives you the idea that it must be true. A lot of people, if it's spiritual, if it's other dimensional, then it's, uh, it's real and it's true. Not recognizing that there are deceitful things in the spiritual realm, just like there are in the natural. And so what this really is, is a complete lack of faith in Saul. And one of the most, uh, it's just a, a tragic verse, verse 15, when Samuel says, why have you disturbed me? Interesting, he says, disturbed me by bringing me up. When Saul says, I'm in distress, the Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me. This goes back to what you said. Why would you go to the man of God to find out why God doesn't talk to you? If God's not talking to you, do you think the man of God is going to talk to you? See, it doesn't make sense. The last discourse with Saul and Samuel wasn't a good one. Samuel basically rebuked Saul because of his disobedience, said the kingdom is torn from your hands, just like he tore his robe. So has God torn the kingdom from your hands and then he never saw him again. And so why would you go there? It's desperation. It's desperation. I just got to hear something. I've got to hear something. And so he calls on Samuel and then Samuel basically tells him what's going to happen. He says, you consult me now. The Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. Now, God doesn't depart from anybody until they first depart from him. Remember, Saul started off so good. Chapter 11, he led the nation of Israel into this faith victory. And then it went downhill. And then he's been the enemy of God. He's been chasing after God's anointed, David, trying to kill him time and time again. And he's confessed even to David. David, is that you, my son? As surely as the Lord lives, you are going to be king. I know it. Just remember me. Don't kill off my family. Again, living in fear. I know you're anointed. Okay, if you know he's anointed, then why do you try and kill him again? And go after him again. If you really believe he's anointed, why are you still his enemy? And so he is now the enemy of God, and so now God has become your enemy. And it's real important that we see that Saul has made this divide. It's not God who's made this divide. God was with Saul at the beginning. Saul turned his back on God, and then God became his enemy. And that's always the way it is. It's the same thing with Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, then the God, the God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so that's what we see happening right here. The same thing. We see the same kind of struggle that's taking place. Saul has now turned his back on God, and so God has turned his back on Saul. And we see that taking place here. And then he says in verse 17, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom. Remember, that's what he told him with the robe from your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, the one you've been hunting, trying to kill. God's given it to him. Because you did not obey the Lord, carrying out the fierce wrath against the Amalekites. And then he says, the Lord, verse 19, will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. If he wasn't freaked out before, man, he's freaked out now. This is not like Jesus saying to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise, okay? (laughs) He says, you'll be with me. In other words, you're going to be dead. You and your sons, Jonathan and his sons, tomorrow you're going to be dead. And the whole Israel army, you guys are going to be dead. Philistines are going to take over. It's done. Whoa. Didn't turn out like Saul wanted. I wanted to get some assurance. I'm pleading. And now God has revealed to him what actually is going to happen. Notice that Samuel doesn't really answer Saul. What should I do? Ain't nothing you can do. It's already done. It's just going to play its course. Any more thoughts just on this whole medium thing and what's taking place here? Well, we'll see. Don't want to spoil alert, but it's not going to happen quite that way. Um, you know, it's a strange event that takes place. And what I love about this passage is it blows the lid off of all our neat and tidy ways of looking at things. Because it really, what's going on here? What What is happening? Why is it happening? Why is God allowing it to happen like this? And God is just kind of saying, yeah, there's just a whole lot you don't really know. At least to me, that's how it comes across. Because everything that I've read says, this is troubling. Well, I don't get this. And then some try and make it neat, but then it's not actually accurate, it seems, when they try and make it neat and tidy. And so it's a troubling event. And, and verse 20 Think about just the emotion that is going on, the fear that has gripped Saul as he goes here, and then hearing this from the spirit of Samuel, just being told, you're going to die, your kids are going to die, tomorrow you're going to be with me. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, and he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so you may eat and have strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and 
sat on the couch. The woman had a fatted calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. What a, what a dinner that was. Oh, my gosh. Interesting, she wants to help Saul. She's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. they see people just dying here, there no one's going to come in. Of course, we don't know that she was doing this for money because apparently, you know, at least business was down since Saul kicked everyone else. But, you know, she sees that Saul is shaken. She's definitely fearful still that someone's going to find out what's happened. Look at I did what you told me to do. You know, get some food, go on your way, you know. And Saul doesn't want to eat. He is so shook up. He is so fearful that he hasn't eaten. And they have to force him to eat. And so it takes a while. They feed him. They eat. And then that night they get up and leave. Crazy, crazy chapter. Um, Saul's reaction. It's fitting for the circumstance. What do you do when you know it's over. What do you do when you know that this is all that's going to face me? You know, when you find out that you've done something, you're caught, you're busted, and you know you're going to do time. You, you know that that's awaiting for you. There's a, a soberness that comes over when you realize that this is what my future looks like. And it grips you. And it steals your energy. It steals your strength. It steals your hope. And it takes life, literally, from you. And how much more this, when Saul knows I'm dead. Not only am I dead, my sons are dead. Not only is my, are, am I dead and my sons are dead and the nation is going to be given to the hands of the Philistines, but God sees me as his enemy. And looking back at all the things that he's done, and oh, I wish I would have. Oh, I wish I would have. Oh, I wish I would have. The regret that is consuming his life at this time is just unimaginable. Unimaginable. And I guess if there is a lesson for us in Saul's life, it would be to listen while you have the chance. You know, Hebrews tells us that today, while it's today is the time that salvation is there, while it's still today, that there is the time when God is at work and when God is doing a work revealing truth to us, that is the time to embrace the truth, not to wait. Because this is the time that God has made it known. This is the time that you need to understand it. And if you don't, well, then you can get harder of hearing, more deaf, more blind, and more numb. And pretty soon you find yourself the enemy of God. You know, any, any one of these times throughout this period that we've been reading, Saul could have stopped pursuing David. Saul could have said to David, come on back, be king. I know you're going to be, my family and I will go and live over here. 
take over. I want you to be. He could have given the kingdom to the one he knew was going to be king, but he couldn't let go. What are we not letting go of? What are we holding on to that is stealing our lives? Pride. I mean, there's could be a number of things. Could be a number of things. But that's exactly what's happened. God spoke, I didn't hear, and now look where I am. And God isn't the bad guy here. The reason Saul is God's enemy is because Saul has been the enemy of God. And now he finds that, oh, now God is against me. Why? Because I've been against him. I was it from the time where I took the Amalekites and I wanted to be proud in the people's eyes. Any other thoughts on this chapter or even on Saul's life? Because we're coming to the end of it. Yep. You know, death is horrifying to those who don't have life. Those who have life don't fear death because they're alive. It's not like I'm going to die and then I'll get life again. It's no, I have life now. And even when I die, yet shall I live. You know, that's Jesus's words. But those who don't have life, death becomes so final. And that's and, like oh, yeah. This is all I've got. This is all I've got. How do I hold on to it? How do I hold on to it? And it's slowly being chipped away. And when he saw the Philistine army, it was like, oh, my gosh. This is it. I, who can tell me what to do? How can I get out of this situation? Went to desperate causes, goes to a medium, seek Samuel. Samuel, tell me what to do. When Samuel shows up, you're going to die. Why have you done this? God's your enemy. It's over. And so, boom. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, they they thought when he says tomorrow you'll be with me, he knew he was going to be dead. Yeah. The whole idea was in the earth. You know, that was the thought of in the grave and, you know, and so, yeah. No, it wasn't heaven like we think of heaven. Yeah. In my presence. It was, yeah, just, you're going to be dead. You're going to be, any other thoughts? I don't know if we should go to chapter 29 short, but I don't want to really tackle it in 10 minutes. So. Yeah. And it's been that way for a while, for years now, you know, ever since David, you know, was fleeing from him, um, ever since the Amalekites, that thing when he says, God has ripped this from you. Remember, even Samuel was afraid of Saul at one point because Saul might try and kill him. Saul was so desperate to hold on to his power that he lost his mind. Well, I imagine so. I imagine, you know, if he would have repented, you know, he's still going to die um, because that's going to happen. I think the problem is that sometimes we can get to a place where the idea of even repentance, we, we push ourselves to a place where even we don't believe we can go back. I, I think that's the scary thing. I don't think it's so much God saying, yeah, I won't take you no matter what. You know, I think that... We get to the place, I mean, it's kind of like Peter and Judas. They both betrayed Jesus. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times, 
and came back. Judas betrayed Jesus the one time for money and then killed himself because he couldn't live with it. You know, could Judas have repented? You know, I don't know. I don't know, but he didn't. And there's a reason he didn't. And I think the same thing happens with us when we get to a place. There might be a place where we just, I, I can't. And we find our destiny has been written by ourselves, and then we play it out, and it's just tragic. You know, um, you know, it's a scary thing to think, but it's important to recognize again the choices we make have such consequences. You know, I've shared it before that C.S. Lewis talks about a person who they are and the direction their life is heading. You know, if a person is just ornery and grumpy and miserable, they seem to get more that way as they get older. You know, and then there's the person who's kind of happy-go-lucky and cheerful, and they get that way the more they get older. You know, and it, just imagine if that would go on for eternity. You know, what kind of person you would be? <laughs> Food for thought. <laughs> I've been getting kind of grumpy lately because you're kind of setting your destiny, you know, what you're going to be. And so I think someone like Saul or Judas who's setting that destiny of despair and desperation and denial, pretty soon they get to a place where it's just bleak and they can't see anything else because they've created this life or death for themselves. Any other thoughts? No? Let's pray. Father, this is a heavy chapter. As we look at the consequences of Saul's life, and he does not escape the things that he did, that they come to fruition, that he does reap what he has sown over the years. And no matter what he does to try and take it back, he can't erase what he's done and what he's become. Lord, may we learn from this lesson in this life. May we look at Saul and see what he was and what he became. And may we take stock in our own hearts and, and see where we're at now and where we want to be and recognize that the choices we make, the decisions that we involve our lives in will determine where we will be and God we want to be in favor with you and so we want to hear your voice today while you speak Lord may we not harden our hearts today is the day that you are at work today is the day that we need to hear Today is the time that we need to change what needs to be changed, repent where we need to turn around, to confess what needs to be confessed, and to open our hearts and our lives towards you. And I pray, God, that we would do this with a fervor, that we wouldn't do it casually, that we would recognize the importance of how we move forward, that we would do it with intention, that we would do it with passion, that we would do it with urgency, that we would make the steps that need to be made without hesitation, without wavering, that we would engage those areas of our lives 
fervently and recognize that urgency. Lord, these stories are here for us to learn. This life of Saul, as sad as it ends, is there for us to learn. Lord, what can we learn? And I pray that we would have ears to hear what you're speaking to us now. We do pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.